Let's open God's Word this morning to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. We're continuing this morning our explanation of the fourth commandment. We'll read Psalm 84 and then a couple of verses from the New Testament as well. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in Thee. Then turn with me to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5. We'll read verses 17 and 18, which speaks of financial support for the gospel ministry, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. And then one more, turn back a little bit to Galatians 6, verse 6. Galatians 6, verse 6. This is one of a number of verses in the New Testament that supports the notion of seminary training. Galatians 6, verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. So these are older, perhaps, or gifted pastors who are teaching others to be pastors. Let him that is taught in the word, and now not teach the people, but let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth Training pastors is the idea there. On the basis of these passages, and many others, the Heidelberg Catechism explains to us the positive requirements of the fourth commandment in Lord's Day 38. Turn there, 
22, page 22 in the back of your Psalter, Lord's Day 38. What doth God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained, and that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God to hear His word, to use the sacraments, publicly to call upon the Lord and contribute to the relief of the poor as becomes a Christian. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord to work by His Holy Spirit in me and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Beloved of God, the Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, through teaches us that all of the Ten Commandments have both a positive and a negative implication. Though that's the case, the Ten Commandments themselves are mostly presented in a negative form. In fact, it's only the fourth and the fifth that are presented in a positive form. The fourth commandment that we are covering now is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. A positive commandment. Not thou shalt not, although a thou shalt not is in there. Thou shalt not labor on the seventh day. But in the main, it's presented positively. And the fifth is as well, honor thy father and thy mother. The Heidelberg Catechism captures that positive nature of the presentation of the fourth commandment in its explanation in Lord's Day 38. Just look at the question itself. What doth God require of thee? Not what does he tell you not to do, but what does he require of you? And then the whole answer focuses not on the negative aspects of the fourth commandment, but on the positive requirements and shows us that God requires us to be very active and to be very busy and engaged on the Sabbath day. So that although we are required negatively to put away our regular work on this day, the Catechism makes clear that He's requiring us to put that away so that positively we may be actively engaged spiritually with Him on this day. Notice all the verbs in Lord's Day 38 and how they indicate positive, zealous activity. That the ministry of the Gospel in the schools be maintained. That I diligently frequent the church of God. And when I'm there, I hear His Word. I use the sacraments. I call upon His name. I contribute to the relief of the poor. I cease from my evil works. I yield myself to the Lord. That's all in line with this positive presentation of the fourth commandment. Which also, of course, helps us with the negatives that are there in the fourth commandment. There are negatives. There are thou shalt nots with the fourth commandment too. Thou shalt not labor on this day. 
And then a passage like Isaiah 58, verse 13, Turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day. There are real do-nots, thou shalt nots, with regard to the fourth commandment. And that negative side has to be talked about. It's important. Sometimes people only want to talk about the positive side and never want to hear anything of the negatives. But then on the other hand, there's people who only want to hear the negatives and never want to hear the positive side. Because they think to themselves, as long as I don't do this or this or this, then I'm, I'm good with the fourth commandment. As long as I don't get the, the boat out and, and go to the lake on Sunday, then, then I'm good. But we must not forget the weightier matters of the law. And that is this positive calling to put all of these things away so that we may be engaged in our relationship to Jehovah God in love for Him, to be with Him on this day in a unique way. I don't just say to my wife, I love you, my dear wife, so because I love you, give me a list of things that you don't want me to do. That's good. But I say, I love you. Tell me positively what I can do to show you that I love you. And that's what we're saying when we come to the fourth commandment now. God, thou hast given this command. It's part of my relationship with thee. How do I use this Sabbath day as part of my relationship with thee to express my love to thee? A calling that when we look at it that way, affects all the days of our life. The positive calling of the fourth commandment. There's three aspects to that positive calling in Lord's Day 38. Support the heralding of rest. Use the day of rest. Begin the eternal rest. Support the heralding of rest. Use the day of rest. And begin the eternal rest. The Catechism on the Basis of Scripture says that the first positive calling of the fourth commandment is that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained. And at first, that seems a little bit strange to us. This is not explicitly in the fourth commandment. And maybe at first it seems like a stretch of logic. But it's at this point that our Reformed Fathers show their wise understanding of the positive aspect of the fourth commandment, especially as it's set within the context of all of sacred Scripture. And what they're saying here makes complete sense when we see that their explanation of the fourth commandment rests on the central concept of the fourth commandment. That is, that it is the Sabbath day. It is a day of rest. That I, especially on the Sabbath day, that is the day of rest. That's what the Sabbath centrally is. It's the rest day. That's what the very word Sabbath means. The Hebrew word is Shabbat. It's a Shabbat day. It's a rest day. Remember the Shabbat, the day of rest, to keep it holy. And so God roots This day, in the fact 
that he worked six days in creating the world and then he rested the seventh day. I had a rest day. And that was the pattern for you. You work six days and then you have a Sabbath, a Shabbat, a rest. That rest includes physical rest. Includes rest from our normal work. God commands, thou shalt not labor on this day. And then he even has something to say in this fourth commandment to the cattle, doesn't he? Give the cattle rest. That's a physical rest. Cattle can't have any spiritual rest. There is a physical rest that God commands. It's not even an option that he commands on this day. But especially the rest is the great spiritual rest of entering into our relationship with him and the peace that is found in him and the joy of the gospel and of all of the covenant of grace. You can see that when you see that often when the Bible talks about entering into the rest of the Sabbath day, it describes it as resting unto the Lord. Exodus 16, verse 23, And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord hath said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord, of the holy rest unto the Lord. Exodus 31, verse 5, Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest unto the Lord. Exodus 35, verse 2, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you an holy day, a Sabbath of rest unto the Lord. A rest unto God. That is, a kind of rest that takes you to God, close to God. It is a day to be filled with entering into our relationship with God, of worship with God that brings us close to Him. Entering in to the things of His covenant more fully than we can in the regular days of our life. That's the heart of the positive use of this commandment that you see on the pages of the New Testament, God's people entering into. Not only ceasing from their work and resting physically, but then entering into this relationship, a rest unto the Lord. Look at The Apostle John in Revelation 1 who says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was coming close to God in prayer, in worship of His name on the Lord's day. Look at Hebrews 4 that says there is a rest day that remains in the New Testament for the people of God and explains that as the rest of coming close to Jehovah God. This is the heart of the Sabbath day. The rest of the gospel that says what God has done for us and will do for us that is proclaimed over us that we enter into with our minds engaged a rest for our souls. Are not our souls in need of rest? We're in spiritual unrest so often. There's the unrest of the burden of our sins upon us, the guilt of things that we've done or said or thought throughout the week so that we must come and unburden this before the Lord and find rest in the gospel of peace. There is the unrest of the circumstances of our life and the heaviness that weighs upon us. Sometimes the confusion 
that comes to us in the circumstances of our life. We must cry out to Him together. O my soul, why art thou cast down? Hope in God together on this day. This is the day where we fully enter into the things we read about in Psalm 84. This is the day where verse 11 of Psalm 84 is so powerfully and manifestly true to us that the Lord God is a sun and a shield to us. He grants to us His healing rays. He grants to us His strong spiritual defense. He pours graces upon us and glory is granted to us on this day. This is the day where we come to the well after our pilgrimage through the valley of Baca. Psalm 84 talks about the valley of Baca was a desert valley. And the psalmist is talking about our life as a desert. We're traversing through this desert. And then every seventh day he makes it a well. He turns this desert into a well. And, and rain comes down and fills the pools. And we go for six days through this desert. And then it's a well again on the seventh day. And, and rain fills the pools again. Someone said to me once, that one of the deepest ways she is convinced of the love of God for his people is because of the fourth commandment. That he says every seventh day, you're going to rest and you're going to come apart and you're going to be with me. And she said, I, that, the timing of that, the way that he knows us, it's pure love. I can't go longer than six days. That's exactly, that is the limit, six days. And then I need that oasis. I need those rains of grace to fill the pools and I may drink from them and then go six days again and then drink again. Many of the Reformed churches in Mexico are named after the idea in this psalm. We have names like Georgetown, because we're in Georgetown, or Zion, or different aspects of the Scriptures. A lot of their churches are named Luvius de Grazia, Reigns of Grace, because on the Lord's Day and in the church, this well is formed that's filled by the means of grace that comes to us on the Lord's Day. I'm not imposing that on Psalm 84, that it's on the Lord's Day and in the church that this well is formed and these rains of grace fill the pools. Look at the first two verses of that psalm. What is the psalmist thinking about as the well and as the rains of grace? How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And then comes this valley of Baca that's made a well and the rain fills the pools. The psalmist is thinking about coming to the tabernacle or to the temple on the Sabbath day. And there this desert is turned into a well 
from which He can drink His rains of grace that fill the pools, especially in the ministry of the Word that's found there on the Sabbath day. As the Levites took out the Scriptures and gave the sense, they explained them and applied them to the people of God so that they knew our God is a sun, our God is a shield. He shines His healing rays upon us. He shields us spiritually from the enemies. He gives us His graces and His glories. And that's still true today. That means then that we must support the ministry of the Gospel and the schools. Since God has chosen this way, this means to be the way in which there is a well for us every seventh day and rains of grace to flow and to fill the pools from which we may drink every seventh day. If he's chosen to use the church and especially the ministry of the word in the church, then we must support that ministry of the word and the schools. This is how the catechism is arriving at this calling to maintain the ministry of the word and the schools as one of the requirements of the fourth commandment. A faithful ministry is heralding rest to God's people and all that it takes to support the church and ultimately that ministry that heralds rest is what the catechism is talking about which includes the schools, supporting the schools. The catechism is speaking, first of all, there of the seminary that produces ministers to be heralds of rest for the church, that this well might be opened unto them. But Ursinus, Zacharias Ursinus, who was the chief author of this Heidelberg Catechism, points out, in his own commentary that he wrote on the catechism, that he was also, he wasn't, he was thinking about the seminaries first, but also about the Reformed day schools that were so vital to the strength of the Reformation churches then and now. He says in that commentary, how can there be faithful ministers of the word regularly if they're not taught from their youth up in the Reformed schools, taught the Reformed faith how to think, how to analyze, how to discern a Reformed worldview that their mind and heart is engaged with this faith from their youth up that they then might in the seminary learn to proclaim it. Did you ever think about the notion of supporting the schools in the seminary as part of obedience to the fourth commandment? As supporting the ministry of the word, the means by which this well is opened up for us from which we might drink on the Sabbath day. And of course, God can raise someone who's not from a Reformed home or from a Reformed day school and make them into a minister of the Word. He has in the past and He will again in the future. But Ursinus is thinking of the general pattern, the general rule. And the schools are nurseries for ministers of the future among so many other things. And that the support of the schools and of the seminary is part of the way by which we contribute so that this ministry of the gospel might be maintained. 
So probably when you think about supporting the ministry of the gospel and of the schools, you're thinking about financial support. And that's okay because that is a big part of it. It's true. Financial maintaining of the ministry, of the gospel, and of the schools is vital. It's quite an astounding thing if you think about it. That God has tied the means by which He opens the well to us every seven days and and rains of grace come upon us. He's tied that to the pocketbook of God's people. Why? Because He wants us to have the privilege of having a part in this. To have some skin in this game, you might say. And so we read of that in 1 Timothy 5, verse 18 that we read this morning. For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. There was a law in the Old Testament that said when you're using an ox to plow your field at harvest time, don't put a muzzle on that ox. He has to be allowed to eat while he's running back and forth through the field harvesting your crops for you. He's serving you and you need to allow him to eat as he serves you. And the apostle is now applying that to the ministry of the word and is saying, as the servants of God are serving you, support them. Don't muzzle them. They must be able to give themselves full time to this. They're servants of the church. Servants of you. And so we support the ministry of the word with our financial giving, giving to the general fund. We support the seminary with that. We support missionaries with the general fund. We support our schools as nurseries of future ministers. And you see, this is part of the connection between the six days shalt thou labor and the seventh day of the Sabbath day of rest. That labor on your six days, as we said last time, is itself pleasing to Jehovah God. It's part in its own self of your relationship to God. But there's this in addition to that, that we labor in those six days also to support the ministry of the Word that there might be rest for us on the Sabbath day. That the well might be opened. Rains of grace might pour into the pools through the chief means of grace. And we ought to communicate that to our children too. That the reason why we work hard, children, is not just to get a bigger house or or not just to get a better car or not just to have better vacations, but also to support the ministry of the Word and the schools that they might be maintained, that there might be a heralding of rest, that there might be a well opened up on the Sabbath day. God is pleased to use this means for that end. Part of our obedience to the fourth commandment is maintaining the ministry of the gospel. There's other ways that we maintain the ministry of the gospel. That there might be that well open to us on the Sabbath day. I think your congregation has had internships, seminary students here. That's another way. We maintain the ministry of the gospel, hosting an internship, part of the training of a seminary student. There's, of course, prayer. Prayer, the maintaining of the ministry of the gospel cannot be except through prayer. 
The Apostle Paul prays in 1 Thessalonians 5.25, Brethren, pray for us. And in 2 Thessalonians, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the Word of the Lord may have free course and may be glorified. Pray for the ministry of the Word. Pray for the elders who minister the Word in other ways in your midst. Pray for the deacons. Pray for the professors, the seminary, the seminary students, teachers, and the schools. And then finally, let's add that maintaining the ministry of the Gospel in the schools is also by our encouragement. Financial giving, other ways, internships, prayers, encouragement. Don't forget, beloved, that seminary students, elders, deacons, ministers, Teachers, professors are men. In the case of teachers, women too. Subject to like passions as you are. And probably the majority of us are not aware of how much time and energy and prayer effort goes in to serving the church from those who are leaders in the church. I think if I was your minister, I wouldn't even be making this application because I don't want you to think about me. But I'm not, and I'm in a different position now, professor in the seminary, maybe I can say this to you. Think about it. The weight that is upon these men the difficulty of the work. They don't need your sympathy, but they need your prayers and they need a word of encouragement every now and then too. Think about one case, beloved, that elders must bear and deal with and handle properly before the face of God. One case, hundreds upon hundreds of hours go into that. Of visits and meetings and and emails and phone calls and follow-up and meetings with the family and other family members and following up with this and with that and of counseling and of going to other counseling with the person that needs counseling and how many other things. And that's in addition to all the other labors that elders have. Family visitation and all of the meetings and all the other caring for the flock that's there and that's one case. And How many more do they have? And they did not ask me to say any of this to you. But it's part of our maintaining the ministry of the gospel in our midst that we give a word of encouragement. It's heavy. It's heavy. One only has to read the scriptures to see that it's heavy. Observe Elijah under the juniper tree asking God finally to take his life because he's so tired and burdened with the work. Think of some of the Psalms of David or the sorrow of the Apostle in 2 Timothy 4, verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. There's a kind of loneliness sometimes in this calling. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28, where Paul says, I have all of this that I must do, and besides that, 
all the care of the churches and the word is anxiety there. All the anxieties of the churches. The worry of the churches that's upon office bearers. Did you ever think that part of your obedience to the fourth commandment is a word of encouragement to your office bearers as part of maintaining the ministry of the gospel? That there be a well opened up to you on the Sabbath day from which you might drink deeply. That the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained. And then, beloved, when God marvelously and beautifully and graciously takes up our six days of labor, our financial support and our prayer and our encouragement so that there is a, a ministry of the Word in our midst, a a heralding of the rest, then the second positive calling of the fourth commandment is to enter into that rest on the Sabbath day that you've been given a privilege to help maintain. How foolish would it be to be used of God in your six days of labor for the maintaining of the ministry of the gospel. And then when it comes to the seventh day, to not enter into the rest that he's used you to help maintain. To have a low view of what happens here on the Lord's day. Take it or leave it. Skip church for illegitimate, foolish, selfish reasons. Or to come to church, but to say, well, I'm not so interested in that topic. That's the topic, or or that's the passage. I'll just sort of tune out. Maybe next time it'll be something I'm more interested in. Or to view church as time to catch up on sleep. But instead, to give oneself over to the means of grace on this day that have been opened up, the rains of grace that are coming down, the well that is opened up and to drink from that pool in the desert, to suck from that well that you need to sustain your spiritual life the next six days, to use the whole day for that. The whole day is set aside for this. It's a Sabbath day, a day of rest for this. And wouldn't you say, if God only commanded the Sabbath morning, if the fourth commandment was only, remember the Sabbath morning, wouldn't you say to him, come on God, I need more than that. You need to change this command. I need the whole day to be set aside, to enter into these things, to drink from this well, to receive these rains of grace, to have fellowship with thee and with the people of God to hear thy word, to sing, to have communion with God's people together. And wouldn't you say, I want to avoid anything that would encroach on that because I need this. All those other things that can encroach upon my life, I need to, I need to put the, the barriers there because I need this day, Jehovah. Especially, I need the church services on this day. 
diligently frequent the church of God. No one here joins their voice to those who would say or think in their mind, I wish it just said, come to church every now and then. Or just Christmas and Easter. But instead, every Sabbath day, and diligently frequent the church of God. But if you stop and think about it, aren't you so glad about that? Do I need less of this in my life? Do I need less meeting with Jehovah? This is not something to complain about or to be down about. This is something to rejoice about. This is a gift. God's law is a gift to his people always. It is for their good. And then with that understanding, I come to meet with Jehovah God. I come spiritually engaged with purpose, with spiritual anticipation, with resolve to drink, to receive rest. Not just to warm a pew, but to drink out of that well. I don't come as a as a dead brick merely to a building that's made out of dead bricks, but as a living stone to a living temple that's built up here. What is going to church? 1 Peter 2.5 He also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. Coming to church, beloved, is not merely coming to this physical building with these these dead bricks, stones in the wall. So that I come as as a spiritually dead person to this dead building. But this is the church. These living stones. You are the church. This is what it means to come to church. You come as a living stone with these other living stones and God builds you up a spiritual house in this worship service. You happen to do that in this building that we call a church. But in the end, these dead stones are not the church. These living stones are the church. And I join myself to them. And I come and I appear before the living God. As Psalm 84 says, every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. And we come together and He builds us up a spiritual house. And He's present with us. Father with His children. And He speaks and He he gives to us. Here's your water. Here's your life. Here's the reins of grace to you. He opens the well to us. So I come to church actively engaged, spiritually wanting to drink. And so now the catechism takes us through the main elements of a worship service and it keeps using those verbs, doesn't it? It's not just sit under the... It's hear the word. It's not just sit by the sacrament. It's use the sacrament. And every single one, it has a verb. Actively engaged spiritually in what's going on here. For rest. For rest for your soul. Chiefly in the hearing of the Word of God that is proclaimed. Not to hear merely a minister, but to hear the Word. The Word. The Word is the fountain of life that's opened up. The Word is the lamp upon our pathway. The Word is the bread of life. The Word is the pearl of great price. This in the hands of the Spirit convicts, encourages, break down, build up, cuts, stitches, fountain opened up of blood, 
in which I might be plunged and have my sins forgiven. Rest in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the heart of this word that is proclaimed to me. This Christ who commanded in the Old Testament that they go not out and pick up stacks on the Sabbath day because He would come and He would pick up the sticks of His cross and He would bear all that that cross was Those sticks were sticks of judgment and curse. And He'd bear it upon Himself for the sins of His people. So that there might be rest for the people of God on the Sabbath day. That's proclaimed in the ministry of the Word in the church. So I come to hear, to listen, to engage. Parents, School teachers, teach the children to listen to an extended discourse. And don't forget how important that is. This is the visual age. There's nothing wrong with visual aids. But everybody here likely has read the reports about all the visual images. Snap, 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 and now kids can't concentrate any longer. And how does that affect when they sit here under the preaching of the Word? And teachers in schools must keep this in mind. Visual aids are fine. But don't. there's a line there. Faith cometh through hearing. Hearing through the Word of God. And they must be taught in school too how to follow something. The logic and the progression of something. And to keep their mind fixed upon it. The Word transforms through our mind and to our heart. And the, and the whole thing must be engaged as one whole package. It doesn't really work so well to just pay attention when the illustrations come out or when the applications come out. It's better than nothing, perhaps, but but the whole thing works together. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind, through the mind to the heart. And when the Word of God is preached and explained, it's the explaining parts, the teaching parts, the logic exposition of the text, where the Spirit is, as it were, He's taking His hands and He's wrapping His hands around our mind and our heart through those portions of the sermon. So that when it gets to the application, he has something to pull on. He has our mind and heart now. It's been convinced by the explanation, and now it pulls that heart in the direction of the application. The whole thing hangs together. And so I come to hear, and the children come to hear, and to grasp this, to follow it, and to receive it. This will be the food and drink for my soul. And rest will be had in it. The rest of the gospel of Jesus Christ will come home to me and it will mean something to me. I understand with my mind and now my heart follows. To use the sacraments. Not just to eat a piece of bread and drink a little bit of wine, but with hearts and minds engaged in what this is and what this means to me before the face of God. Publicly to call upon the name of the Lord. That's talking about prayer and singing. So that in congregational prayer, it's like 
tributaries and streams of prayers from the members of the congregation are flowing and through the minister and the congregational prayer rising up one stream to Jehovah God. And in the songs that are being sung, no longer through the minister, but all of us together, these voices, all of these streams coming together as one mighty flood up to Jehovah of praise to Him. And there's rest in this. As through this, we cast our burdens upon the Lord. As we open up our souls to Him. As we appeal to Him in confession of sin and reception of the Holy Gospel. As we sing to each other about the promises of God. And really apply them to each other in our singing. There's rest for us in this. Contribute to relief of the poor and the giving of our alms which also gives us rest. Because as you let go of that money, what you're saying is, God, I trust you. That at the end of the day, my rest, my security, is not just found in my purchasing power, but it's found in thee. And if I let go of this, I trust that you're still going to hold me and take care of me. There's rest for the soul in that. So that in all of these ways, in all of the elements of the worship service, as we come with hearts engaged, I'm entering into that rest. And I'm strengthened in my soul to begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. You see the logic? You see the, the cyclical nature of this, beloved? How God did this? The fourth commandment concerns our whole life. Six days we are to labor, in part to support the heralding of rest on the Sabbath day. So that on that Sabbath day we might enter into that rest and and drink from that well that's opened up the, the floods of grace, the rains of grace that come to us. And then experiencing that rest, hearing that being strengthened in our mind and heart and soul, we go back out to those six days and we labor out of that rest and in that rest that we've been granted on the seventh day. And, and the whole thing starts over again and it cycles and cycles and cycles through our life. Our Reformed Fathers are very concerned that we not merely become Sunday Christians when we think about the Fourth Commandment. That we don't look at it like, well, I do my religious duties on Sunday, and then the rest of the week is completely separated from that. Sunday is like a a detached appendage from the body of my life when it must be the, the beating heart at the center of my life affecting every aspect of my life so that my life flows into it with my labor and then it flows out of it with my labor and the whole thing circles and circles and circles. So that in my six days, I'm, I'm yielding myself to the Lord out of the rest that has come on the seventh day. Even as I labor to Him, I'm ceasing from my evil works even as I'm working physically unto Him. So that I begin already now 
the eternal Sabbath, where every day is Sabbath rest, and where the labor and the spiritual rest are perfectly one. Don't you look forward to that? That eternal Sabbath rest. If I may put it this way, the the church bells are already chiming there, beloved, calling us there. And as those chimes beckon us home where every day is Sabbath rest, even as we labor every day for His glory, we can taste a bit of it already now by this constant cycle. So that as we wait for that labor out of rest that is so perfect that the two are completely joined in one, we get it. We get it. We get a sense of it already now. I'm laboring out of the rest and then back unto that rest. And I'm using this day as the center of my life. Until that day comes when it's all perfectly one to the glory of God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, bless thy word to our hearts. Strengthen us, we pray. And forgive our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen.